May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC, Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, doing our bit to help preserve the legacy of Shunryu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. Before I go on, I want to uh, tell you something. Uh, That yesterday, December 9th, 2023, uh, marked the 10-year anniversary of Katrinka and me arriving in Bali. And, you know, she told me something uh, that I'd, I'd totally forgotten, is, is that we arrived here with nothing but carry-on. And we weren't just coming here for two weeks. We were coming to Asia for like half a year. That's what our ticket was. We ended up three months. We had to fly out and go to Singapore and fly back in and get new tourist visas because of the two-month or, what is it, 60-day limit. And then at the end of the third month, we flew off to three weeks in Thailand, 10 weeks, wonderful weeks in Japan, eight of which was... Um, in a Airbnb in Kyoto. Oh, wonderful. Loved it. Miss it. Then another three weeks in Thailand. I'm, I'm sure that was because, man, they really make it difficult to stay there, even for people who live there. I mean, even for foreigners who live there. I mean, foreigners who've lived there a long time, foreigners who are married to Thais and have lived there a long time, they have to go out just like they were tourists you know, all the time. It's amazing. Anyway, but uh, then we we visited uh, some friends uh, in um, Kuala Lumpur. That, uh, we were um, engaged Buddhists. That was really wonderful, and we've seen them in, uh, a number of times, and not in recent years. And then we came back here, and that was it. So we were gone like, I don't know, a few months, right? And we came back here and we said, well, let's just stay here. And we let our return tickets expire. And Katrinka's gone back almost every year, that not if her son was coming here. And they are coming here in March, his son and his wife and their two daughters. Uh, so, uh, anyway, she said we arrived with carry-on. Wow. Only. And uh, so, man, you wouldn't believe what we got now. We'd need a container to take this back, but we're not going to do that. Uh, but anyway, that's it. All right. Now, back to the podcast proper. So, today we have a guest, Daigaku Rume, uh, 
And I am going to read to you from his biography on the Soto Zen Buddhist Association site, szba.org. So it's a Daigaku Rumi, Confluence Zen Center, St. Louis, Maplewood, Missouri. Daigaku Rumi was born in Mason City, Iowa in 1950. He was ordained as Soto priest by Senke Harada Roshi in 1978. For more than 27 years, he practiced under Harada Roshi at Hoshinji Monastery in Fukui, Japan. In March 2003, he moved to San Francisco to work on the staff of the Soto Zen Buddhist International Center. For the seven years he worked there, he resided at the San Francisco Zen Center. In April 2010, Rume moved to Los Angeles, where he worked as the director of the Soto Zen Buddhist North American office and as the head priest of Zen Shuji Soto Temple. In April 2015, he resigned from his position in Los Angeles and moved to St. Louis. He is translator of, and now I'm going to quick reading from that and read to you uh, the books he has translated. The, the important one is the new one, and we the first thing we do in this podcast is he talks about it. Uh, well, they're all important, but for now, this is the most important because it's just recently out. And the name of it is The Formless Record of the Transmission of Illumination, a Contemporary Commentary on Keizan Zenji's Denko Roku, Volume 1, by Gien Inoue. We're going to talk about that book. And then uh, earlier books that he translated, you know, working with Gian Inoue and working with Seke Harada. The Essence of Zen, The Teaching of Seke Harada. Translated and edited by Daigaku Rume. A Blueprint of Enlightenment, a Contemporary Commentary on Dogen Zenji's Gakudo Yojinshu Guidelines for Studying the Way by Gian Inoue. Daigaku Rume. That's what it says in Amazon, right? Unfathomable Depths, Drawing Wisdom for Today from a Classical Zen Poem by Seki Harada, translated by Daigaku Rume. Okay, so there we have that. And now I want to go back to his Zen group, the Confluence Zen Center. Uh, in, uh, well, um, I think of it as St. Louis, but it's officially, according to the Soto Zen 
Buddhist site. It's officially Maplewood, Missouri. So anyway, um, that's pretty good. You've got a pretty good idea. Um, and, you know, anything else I'd have to say about him will be in the podcast. So that's enough, huh? Let's, um, uh, let's go to our uh, pause to meditate. So when you hear the bell, if you wish to meditate or whatever, hit pause. And meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause. And we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever and give Dai Gaku Arume a call. Hello. Hi, Daigaku. How are you? How how's life in paradise? <laughs> uh, it's it's um uh, I don't know. I live in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, oh, okay. How is it there in uh, St. Louis? Good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good time it's cold, there. You know, we're we're just we're kind of going in towards winter now, but uh huh. Um, but it's been nice, and um, actually, I was born in Iowa, so it doesn't feel too too far away from home. Oh, really? Really? I didn't know. Yeah. I, uh. yeah. yeah. Um. Well, um, you say uh, you you were unfamiliar with uh, podcasts, uh. The, the, you, this was being recorded from the time you said hello, and uh, okay. it um, is not live. And uh, I want to focus on uh, the uh, book uh, first, and um, then um, I want to hear about you. And... Uh, that's okay. A, that's all, and there's no limit to the time. It doesn't matter, uh, and I'm happy to talk with you. But uh, first, let's talk about the formless record of the transmission of illumination, a contemporary commentary on Keizan Zenji's Dengo Roku uh, by Gian Inouye, but I take it that uh, you were involved in the translation, too. I was. Me and uh, my translation partner, Miss Keiko Ulbai, so uh, together we've been working on this for about three years, I think. It's it's a difficult text, and, uh, well, she's got other things going on, so it's not like a, a job that you just go through uh, quickly, and uh, we're just very happy to get volume one out. If if all goes well, there will be eventually four volumes. Wow. Well, uh, tell us about the book. 
And, and tell us about Kazan. I'm 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 very happy to see something coming out about Kazan. Well, you know, Kazan Zenji is regarded as one of the two founders of the Soto sect in Japan. Yeah. Right? Along with Dogen Zenji. But he's long been in the, the shadow, I would say, of Dogen Zenji, who was a not only was he an enlightened man, but he was a literary genius. And uh, his works, primarily the Shobo Genzo, but other things as well, the extensive record and, and, uh, and other works, have really been the primary focus of teaching material in the Soto Sect, both in Japan and in the, in the West. And Keizan is just not very well known, I think largely for that reason. As well as he did not, he doesn't have a great amount of of work to his name. So the Denko Roku is his best-known work, and it's been translated several times into English. I have three or four translations. But there are very, very few commentaries mm-hmm. on this work. And frankly, I think it's a difficult text, so it's it's good to have a contemporary commentary. Hmm. Well, uh, Kaysan, he isn't he's thought of as the popularizer of Soto Zen, isn't that right? Yeah, he's known. He and his disciples are known for having spread the Soto teaching around Japan. I was reading recently in everything that Dogen at when he was alive, he was not well He had gone into the mountains of Fukui to start his temple, Eheiji, mm-hmm. uh, which is now a major training monastery of the Soto sect. But at that time, he was not well known among contemporary, let's say, historians and so on. And uh, it was really Kazan Zenji and his disciples who took Dogen Zenji's teaching and, and went around different parts of Japan and, and spread the uh, the teaching such that, and I don't know the exact figures, but of course Kazan Zenji is known for having founded Soji, which is today even still the the other main training monastery of the Soto sect in Japan. Right. But uh, many many of the smaller temples throughout Japan are aligned with Sojiji. Yeah. So for that reason, if if that if for that reason only, uh, he's a significant uh, person in the Soto sect. He he's also associated with uh, a promoting. Uh, Women. Is he? Um, that I'm, I'm not overly familiar with that. I, I think I have heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, maybe he had, maybe he had uh, Dharma successors who were women. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he, he had, you know, he had contact. He had women students and I guess women Dharma I don't, I don't know the details of it. Um, uh, I'll, I'll look into it further, but um, that is uh, one thing I've read about 
him. So, um, yeah, what I what I know about him mainly is through this book I've been translating. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, there's a real fine introduction. The um, the Soto Shoes sponsored a, a new translation of the Denko Roku, which came out in 2017. And uh, there's a long introduction, I think, by William Botterford, oh. both about Kazan Zenji and, and uh, the Denko Roku as well. Hmm. <coughs> hmm. Well, um, can you uh, give us um, a look inside at what sort of dharma is in the book? You know, let me just describe briefly for those of people who are not familiar with the Denko Roku. Yeah. Uh, this book is a series of lectures that he gave. So they were not written down, okay? They were, what we, what we know now is the Denko Roku. Uh, of course, over history, uh, that text has changed somewhat. Many hands have been on it. Yeah. But originally there were notes taken by one or possibly two of his attendants. We don't know exactly who they were, but these uh, these notes, and we don't know if Kazan was involved in, in editing them afterwards, but they are a group of 53 lectures, as we know them now, uh, that where he talks about each of the ancestors, going back to Shakyamuni Buddha, of course, the, the founder of Buddhism, through 28 ancestors in India, 23 ancestors in China, and two in Japan who would have been Dogen Zenji and Kong Ejo Zenji. So he's tracing the lineage mm-hmm. of the Soto sect all the way back to the Buddha. And as we know the Denko Roku now, it's divided, each chapter is divided into four different divisions. Uh, but these divisions were added later. But in any case, it begins with a, what is called a root case, which is more or less a koan, I would say, uh, where, uh, describing how the next ancestor met his teacher. And, and usually the question that comes as the main part of that case then he describes what they call pivotal circumstances, the details of his life, of the new ancestor's life, and so on. And then a part called the investigation, which is Kizan Zenji's commentary on that text. Mm. And it ends, each case ends with a verse. Um, I have to say for myself that I've never, I was never really drawn to the Denko Roku. A lot of it just seems a li- it's a distance, a little it seems a little bit medieval for my taste. Mm-hmm. But um anyway Roshi's commentary really brings it to life, I think, for for us in, in these modern times. Mm. Mm. Um well um y- you uh were uh, you, you you were you studied with Harada Seki Roshi? That's correct. And I was ordained by him, right? Pardon? 
I was ordained. Yeah. And, um, and, and lived, I lived for many years at his monastery, Hoshinji monastery. Yeah. What, what, when, when, when did you go to Japan and, and, and what took you there? Yep. Um, well, I first went to Japan when I was 10, going on 11 years, 11 years old. Oh. And that was in 1961. Uh, my father was a missionary, a Christian missionary in Japan. Hmm. And, uh, so that was just before I was going into sixth grade. So all the way through middle school and high school, except for one year, I lived in Japan. And then I returned to the States for college and worked for a couple of years after college. And then I went back to Japan in 1974. So I was there for, oh, almost 30 years, I think. Something like that. Yeah, nearly 30 years. A large part of that time was at Hoshinji Monastery. All right. Say that again. You were in Japan for... Almost 30 years, and then what? Um, I was there, and a large part of that was, of that time, was spent at Hoshinji. Yeah, well, how, under Harada Roshi. Right. How, how did um, how did that come about? Why did you get interested in Zen? Why did you go there? Well... That went all the way back to my high school days. I, I when I was in Japan, um, I was uh, there was a time when it was the nineteen sixties. Uh, many of my schoolmates were not overly. I went to an American school, by the way, uh-huh. and uh, many of my schoolmates were not overly interested in being in Japan. They were more interested in, in American things. But but I, I found uh, it was quite attracted to Japanese culture in my way. Yeah. And when I was a senior in high school, we took a trip. A class of mine took a trip to Kyoto. And we visited various well-known temples and shrines and so on in Kyoto <laughs> and Nara. And it was uh, a visit we made to Daitokuji uh, Monastery. Yeah. where I first met a Japanese priest, a Zen priest. I was quite taken with him, uh, his earnestness, and, and something about uh, just the way he carried himself. That was one thing. Mm-hmm. And then I happened to meet an American, uh, Daisy Victoria, Brian Victoria. Ah, yeah, I know Brian. High school. <laughs> wow. So we crossed paths when I was a senior in high school. So there, uh, that was the seed, uh, a curiosity about Zen. Um, in, in college, I, I majored in history, but I wrote my last paper, senior paper, on Zen. So it was a, it was a slowly developing idea. And this was Zen mind, beginner's mind, that really gave me the inspiration to go back to Japan and look for a place to find a teacher to to practice Zazen. Huh, 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 huh. Um, I, I just want to go back to Brian Victoria uh, for a second. 
Uh, you you met him. uh, Where was he when you met him? Um, That was during the Vietnam War, and at a at a young age, I was I was sure I didn't want to go to Vietnam to be part of that war. So I was looking into being a conscientious objector. Yeah, and uh, close to the high school where I went to school, there was a Quaker meeting group. And uh, so I got permission one Sunday to go up there and, and meet the uh, the man who uh, organized that. And, and by chance, uh, Brian, yes, as well. So oh, so that was you met Brian in America? No, no, that was in Tokyo. I was in school. I went to high school in Tokyo. Oh. Oh, so you were looking, in Tokyo, you were looking into being a conscientious objector. That's correct. Well, you know, I was still young at that time, but I was was thinking about that. How old were you then? how How does one become a conscientious objector? I was at that stage. Uh Uh-huh. How old were you question. then? I would say 17 or 18. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Ah, well, yeah. All right. Well, Brian was certainly uh, <laughs> um, an anti-war activist and uh, fascinating character. Um, so... Um, uh, so then you went back to Japan in what year? 1974. 74, boy, that's quite early. And and where did you go? I lived for two years in Kyoto. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know where to go. I, I'd been to Kyoto when I was in high school. So I, I thought of Kyoto as the center of Zen. I had that idea. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know where to go. Um, then I, I uh, found a place to stay. I went to Kyoto. I found a place to stay where there were other Westerners staying. And I heard about Antaiji. Uh-huh. So Antaiji was still in Kyoto. was the first place I'd ever went to sit. Oh. And a friend of mine would go up there. And sit part of sessions. Oh, I, I guess I did that for a year and a half or so before <clears throat> I went up to Hoshin's. I had an old friend. Actually, she was a Catholic nun who had met two Americans who were living at Hoshinji at the immigration office. And that was how I, I heard about Hoshinji. And uh, it happened that there were already, I think, four or five Westerners there training at Hoshinji. So it was um, that was helpful to get my foot in the door there. So I went up to live there in November 1976. Mm. Mm. Uh, but now, up to that point, uh, how had you supported yourself? I was teaching English in yeah. Kyoto. Yeah. 
Yeah, like many others. Yeah. Yeah. Were you teaching for a school? I did both. Uh, some private lessons. I happened to get some private lessons, and then also with a school as well. Yeah. Couple different schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so um, how was your first visit to Ho Shinji? Uh, my first visit was to to see my friend, the, the friend who had gone was me to Antaiji. He had gone up there before I did. So I went up to visit him. And, uh, yeah, I had a chance to to meet Harada Roshi. And it's a curious thing because I had read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Many, many times. And I think, I think, looking back, it seemed like I knew what Zen was. I had an idea what Zen was. So when I met Harada Roshi, I didn't have any questions. I just knew that I wanted to, to go into a monastic situation to practice Zen. Yeah. And, and at a certain point, Harada um, Roshi says, oh, well, he, he doesn't have any questions, so uh, why don't you guys go away? And so then I went up and talked to some of the Westerners who were there, uh, and it came out in that conversation, what, what, what do you actually do when you're sitting in Zazen? And I had always thought that to sit in Zazen, you looked at the breath, you followed the breath. So one of the guys said, you should go back and ask Roshi about that. And I said, me, by myself? Because by that time, my, my uh, friend was no longer there. And I I did speak some Japanese, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was overly fluent. He said, yeah, you should go back. He told me, one of the guys told me, yeah, you just go and uh, you sit outside this door and say, go back and And uh, he'll say, uh, He'll answer, and, and you explain that you have a question. And I thought, oh, boy, okay. Well, um, so I did that. And now his wife, he was married, and his wife was with his wife there. So there were the three of So I, I, in Japanese, I explained, uh, you know, I've always thought that, well, that Zazen is to follow the breath. And he, he he looked at me and he said, Zazen is much bigger than that. And uh, he may have said something like, Zazen is, is every part of your life. Um, don't, don't restrict it to, to one thing. Don't just think it's one thing. Um, so that became a question to me. I don't. That's all I remember of that conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, that really started my questioning about what what is that? What are you what are you doing in zazen and and what is it in practice? And I didn't get up there until I didn't go up there to live until about six months after that short conversation with him. Um, but that was my first contact with him. 
So you went back six months later. And I did. And what happened then? Well, I asked if, if I could. I mean, I had permission. I had gone up one other time for part of the October session. And I asked him if it would be okay to come up. He said yes. Um, I thought maybe I was going to stay for a year or two. Was, you know, I was a young man. I, uh, I, uh, I was 24, 25. That was 1975. I was 25 years old. Um, I knew that there were other Westerners there, but I didn't, I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into. And he said, well, you should stay for six months. And I said, okay. And uh, that turned out to be very difficult. I went up in November. It was very cold. And uh, yeah, there was no heat. Mm. Um, it was not it was just a couple of weeks before Rohat Sashin. And... Well, that was just very difficult. Mm. And then how was Rohat's? I think I, um, I'm pretty sure I had a bad cold <laughs> on top of it. Um, but I just remember, just very cold. The way they did it was they brought up the much. Is what that's how they used. They used to get you to heat the rooms, uh, which were good for about heating your hands. And uh, that they pulled those hibachi out after Rohatsu was finished. Um, there was snow on the ground that that first Rohatsu. I was there, and um, I, I just remember how cold it was. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, so you did you stay the whole six months? I did. And then, I, um, I stayed on. You know, I um, I uh, I made it through um, that first six months, and. Um, I was put in the kitchen. I worked in the kitchen. Um, I, I stayed on. I, I just managed to stay on. I, I asked Roshi if I could become a monk at a certain point. He said, no, your, your father's a missionary. That, um, that's not going to work. <laughs> and I, I was disappointed about that, but what could I do? So I, I stayed on as a lay person. And uh, about six months after that, First rejection. I asked him again. I said, "No, I, I think it's. I really, I really hope I could become a monk." And uh, he agreed. So I was ordained. Um, the, the date was March seventeenth. Although in my record it's April the eighth, nineteen seventy-eight. I was given the name Daigaku, mm-hmm. and. Uh, not too long after that, I was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Oh, goodness. And what year was that? Yep. 1978. So uh, only, it was about three months after I was ordained. Ah. Uh, and, 
so that was that was of course was, was very difficult. I had to leave the temple. I stayed with my teacher's wife was the priest, the head priest of a, of a much smaller temple, a mountain temple, not not too terribly far away by car, twenty minutes by car maybe. And so I went. To, I stayed at her temple for a month, but then it became obvious that uh, this wasn't something that was going to go away easily. So I was. I went to the hospital. I the um, Obama Hospital, the public hospital, mm-hmm. and I was there. Oh, I, I, well, listen. We should explain that this is in the town of Obama. <laughs> Obama, correct. right? Yeah. Famous for supporting Barack Obama in uh, what two thousand? Right, right. Eight was that his first run? Uh, oh gosh. Um. Uh. I. I. I, Oh, I can. Let's see. Obama was elected in. Yeah, I think you're right. Two thousand and eight. Sixteen was Trump. Right. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that town got a, a 15 minutes of fame for, uh, they made little mantra, little, you know, it was, it was their chance to publicize their small little town. So yeah. Yeah. There's not much nice there. With Obama's <laughs> face on it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, that's a small little town on the Japan Sea. Um, sometimes called... Little Nara, because there are so many temples in that area. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Ah. So now. Very close to Kyoto, as to. Yeah. Uh, the. The. Um, tuberculosis, is that contagious? It is. It is. And uh, that's why I had to leave her temple. You know, it's it's um, people with TB cough, and that phlegm, that bacteria, uh, can you know that can be contagious. Yeah, I mean, in that part of Japan, it's a very humid part of Japan. Uh, you know, at one time there was a lot of tuberculosis. Yeah. In that area, and it's it's that bacteria, from what I understand, is in the air. If you're healthy. You can breathe that bacteria in, and you have enough resistance. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't doesn't you don't become infected by it. But I did. Uh-huh. I think one of the reasons I you know this is speculation on my part, but I had studied shakuhachi, the bamboo flute, while I was in Kyoto, and I think my teacher had tuberculosis. And, you know, he would play my flute, I would play his flutes. So I, I, I thought that that may have been the place where I came in contact with it in a, in a more direct way than maybe some people, than many people do. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, what was it like? And how long did it last? Um, you know, that's a, that's a, a disease where, you become weak. You feel weak. So they prescribe lots of sleep, uh, 
and as much and as healthy, nutritious food as you can hmm. can eat. So it's zaitakubyo, as I say in Japanese. It's it's a luxurious. Literally, the uh, luxurious disease because you, you get to sleep a lot, supposedly, and, and, uh, and uh, eat good food. Well, in the ho- in the hospital, it wasn't that great, but um, good enough. Mm-hmm. That together with streptomycin did it. Hmm. And how long were you sick with tuberculosis? I was in the hospital almost exactly a year. Oh my gosh, that must have been hard. Oh, it was. You, you know, I was just, I was just. Uh, I've been reading a book called The Black Angels, and my wife is a nurse, and uh, she heard about this book called The Black Angels. So, a group of black nurses who came up from the south in the United States, part of the Great Migration. I worked at a hospital in New York City on Staten Island called the So I was I was kind of thinking about it when I had it, and I was talking to my wife about that. And uh, you know, that's so many many people throughout history have died from TB. Mm-hmm. And it's only in the last. Since 1950, I came up with a drug regimen that, that was able to to control TB. Yeah. Yeah, and so that was only like 25 years before I got it. Well, what's the? You know, I've I've never quite understood. Uh, TB was such a big thing like a hundred years ago. Um, what what are the what are the significant factors in us being able to control it? Well, it's drugs, drugs, yeah. And and which drugs? Streptomycin was a big one. You know, um, drugs that you take pills, pharmaceuticals. That um, it was quite a quite. I read so just as I mentioned, I just read this book where they describe how they tried eight kinds of things. They tried all kinds of, of stuff that a lot of it didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. And then and then gradually they were able to, they found a compound of three drugs, and I forget the names, but streptomycin was a big, was one of the, the big three. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, with that drug, those drugs, it was possible to... To, to kill the bacteria. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So. In Japan, they're just very, very. Now, I think now here in the United States, there are people with TB. Yeah. But they're usually treated as outpatients. Oh, is that right? As outpatients. So they, yeah. They, they come to the hospital, they get their, their medicines, and, um, you know, they're monitored by doctors and all that, but um, uh, in Japan, they're just very conservative about how how a disease like that is controlled, and so I spent, I ended up 
spending a whole year in the hospital. But you know what? I, I used that time when I realized I wasn't going to get out soon. I started using that time to to study my teacher's talks. We, we just started recording mm-hmm. my teacher's talks. A lot of those we didn't really understand that well, and at least I didn't. And I also started teaching myself how to to read and write Japanese characters. Yeah. If I hadn't had that time, I wouldn't be doing this kind of translation work that I'm doing now. I just wouldn't have had the time. Mm. So, ah, it was sort of a gift. (laughs) You you could say that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, after that year? After that year, I was I was not strong enough to go right back to the monastery. Oh, yeah, I want to ask you one thing. Dur- during that year, yeah. how much did you walk? Uh, at, at, at what sort of physical shape were you in after the year? Um, you know, after a certain while, I was actually for short times. So I could go, the, the, the monastery was about a 15 minute walk away from the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was allowed to go back there. And, um, I think I was there for six months before that, before I was allowed to leave. Um, so I was able to walk. I could walk, but I wasn't that strong. And of course, I was used to, at that time, I was used to warm, warm room and uh, a more, certainly a more nutritious diet than what I was eating at, uh, at the monastery. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I went to live at another smaller temple where one of the Monks from 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 Hoshinji was caretaker priest. So I lived there for nine months. Hmm. Hmm. What was that like? Um. You know that was even more difficult than being in the hospital. Hmm. Now, when I was in the hospital, I was completely engrossed in the language, to learn the language. I kind of set my my sight on using that time to, to learn the language. So when I got out, then, then all kinds of doubts started coming to me about, wow, am I really going to be able to make it back to the monastery? And... Uh, I would, um, so I, I lived at this small temple with this other Japanese monk, and, and uh, together we we had a sort of practice, you know, we cleaned the place, and we, I'm sure we chanted sutras together, and and, and did zazen together, and, and so on, and then now and again I would go for a day or two of session at the monastery. Um, so it was a, a matter of readjusting myself to life in the outside world. Mm. But uh, as I think back now, uh, that was difficult uh, because there was this question 
would I be able? Would I really be able to go back to the monastery? You know, it's like a a doubt, a nagging doubt that I created, but um, it was it was real. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with it. Well, long story short, um, the following spring, let's see, I got out, I think, in, I got out of the hospital at the end of July, it was, I think, or maybe it was June, maybe it was June, I forget, either June or July, so I went to live at that, uh, see, it must have been June, I think it was the end of June, so I got out at the end of June, I went to live at that small temple, uh, what was that? Jiyang was the name of the place. And then the following spring, so for the spring Andro, let's say at the end of of March, maybe the beginning of, of April, I went back to live in the monastery. Mm. In Hoshinji. Yep. At Hoshinji. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And so and I never left. I never left. Yeah. Well, I did. I did make a trip. I did, but I mainly stayed there for another twenty-five years. My, my, my. And yeah, long time. Wow. And all right. So, um, what were the <laughs> transitional points there? Did you have any other ordinations or? For myself, no. Uh-uh. You know, just the usual. Everybody does shuso, and uh, so, so you were shuso. They had shuso. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's part. Of, that's part of the monastic life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I started traveling. I also traveled with Samad uh, Roshi. I went to Germany once to translate for him and um, into English to India. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody translated from English into German. Do you mean you had double translation at the same time? Double translation. Yep. <laughs> Not perfect. Not perfect. But after that, he found a yeah. woman who spoke German. So that was better. Yeah, it was a long time. I spent a long time there. I, uh, and and uh, doing translation was part one of the things that uh, kept me going. That was just something I enjoyed doing. I still do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what well, did you get transmission? I did. Yeah. I did. Well, um, that, yeah, um, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's like another ordination or another step, <laughs> a rather important one. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, you know, David, but um, all the people who got transmission from Harada Roshi, there were 10 or 15. Um, we always knew that that was, uh, it was something. It was a piece of paper, but it was not his recognition that we had completed our training. Mm-hmm. 
And he always made that clear. He made that clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, actually, so, Suzuki, uh, Shinya Suzuki, did too. And people don't understand that. Yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps yeah. so. Yeah, I talked to I mean, him about did, that. He, he said well, it shows a full commitment uh, and a good understanding. But he was rather yeah. noncommittal. Uh, it's kind of like getting a gold watch after 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've been at the job 25 years. Okay, well, okay. I've never worn it. Yeah. You ne- and wait a minute. You never what? You never what? I never wore. I never wore a collar and kisei. Um, at Hoshinji at that time. Uh huh. Hmm. Well, did did, did uh, 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 Harada Roshi went to uh, Seiki Harada Seiki Roshi went to Italy some, didn't he? Right. Originally, I was going to go with him. He told me, you, you're going to go with me. And uh, I said, really? You know, um, Italy? Yeah, that, yeah, 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 you get it's an order. And uh, that was 2002, maybe, something like that. 2001, maybe. I forget the details there. Uh, but not that long before he went, I received the news, I'm not going. I'm not going. Uh, they found somebody else. They found an Italian who, could, who speaks Oh, who yeah. Speaks Japanese. Yeah. He speaks, he speaks French. He speaks Italian. He speaks English. He speaks Japanese. Okay. So, the rug had been pulled out from underneath me, and uh, I thought about it. I talked to Roshi about it. I decided to stay at Hoshinji. About six months later, Soto Shu came back and asked me, well, how about going to America? How about going to San Francisco? And uh, I thought about it. And uh, I don't think Harada Roshi was overly, overly thrilled with that idea, but he said, okay, well, give it a try. And so I went to San Francisco. And uh, they have a small office. You may know that office it's now at Sokoji, in the basement of Sokoji. Yeah, yeah. Called the International Center. Yeah. And I worked there on that staff for seven years. The team I lived in San Francisco. Yeah. That was, uh, and so you went to San Francisco while Haran Roshi was still alive. That's correct. That's and correct. And he, was in, he was in Italy at that time. Uh-huh. And how long was he in Italy? Two years. Oh, I didn't realize that. I knew he was there. I didn't know yeah, it I that long. He, I think he originally thought he would stay longer. Uh-huh. But, and I, I never I never really heard that from him. But it, it, I think he just realized this, you know, not speaking the language and and dealing with, I don't know, the way Soto Su was in Italy, if I could say that, he just realized this is not for me. Yeah. And so he resigned. He resigned. Uh-huh. Uh, 
so um uh so he was uh he was uh a, a, a part of the soto you know because his his lineage his transmission comes from uh harada uh, the other harada is that right uh i can't remember his name um not harada sogaku no no is that who you're thinking, Sogaku? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, you know, Yastani's teacher. That's Sogaku. Yeah. Right? Um, he was ordained by one of Sogaku's disciples, Harada Sesu. Sesu. Oh, yeah, right. Right. And and he went. He practiced at Hoshinji, I think, 1951. That's the date that... I think he was here in 1951. And, uh, but he became disenchanted with Sogaku Roshi quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Maybe after a year or so. And, uh, and that's when he went to practice under Inoue, Kian Roshi, the one who's commenting on the Denko Roku. Ah. Ah. So, uh, either way, is he alive? No, he died in 1981. Oh, oh, so he's the he's the he's the one who did the commentary, and the translation yeah. is by you and that woman, Keiko Omai. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah, I t- I didn't quite understand. Oh, yeah, we're just a, we're just translators. We're translating Inoue Roshi's commentary. Yeah, on on the Denko Roku. That's that's certainly not my uh, commentary. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. But that's my connection with Inoue. My connection with Inoue Roshi is through my teacher. Uh huh. Uh huh. So around uh, uh, Saki Roshi's. Uh, lineage goes back to it, it uh, remind me well it, it does come through Harada Sestri his ordain, yeah. ordination teacher and then his Inka Shome his certification of realization enlightenment comes from Inoue Roshi oh okay and Inoue's comes from well he was he was recognized by many teachers but um, Ida Torin Roshi mm-hmm. seems to be the last person that he he got um, he was recognized by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, re- refresh my memory uh, on the in, in the any Connect, the connection to the Harada Sogaku Yastani line? Well, they were the teachers at Hoshinji when my teacher was ordained. Oh. At that time, Sogaku Roshi was, was the master. Sogaku oh. Roshi was the master. Oh, at Hoshinji? He was the, yeah, at Hoshinji. Oh. And his, his disciple, 
Harada's history was the Jushoku, the resident priest. Oh, uh-huh. So they had split that between the administrative part and the teacher, the master. Oh, so the teacher wasn't the Jushoku. That's correct. Oh, I've ne- I've I I I, I am that I, I'm unfamiliar with that structure. Is that very common? There's a word. Uh, are you familiar with the word shike? S h i k e. Yeah. It's a social. Well, it's a Zen word for master. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes those those positions are divided. Uh huh. In, in the case of my teacher, my teacher did both. He was both a Jushoku and the shike. Uh huh. So uh, you could, if in, in, in the way it was with. Um, uh, 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 before it was uh, the Jushoku and the Shike. They were divided, correct? Sogaku Roshi was the Shike. Oh, okay. Sushi Roshi. Oh, all right. All right. Now, um, uh, you know, I, I visited there and I met with Har- Harada Seki Roshi one time and uh, yeah, I was very impressed with him. Um, uh-huh. I I did not have a question uh, because oh, okay. uh, I uh, you know I don't know I I was just visiting and checking the place out and uh, uh, I didn't feel like it would have been you know, sincere or anything, it would have, I would just have had to come up with something. But uh, then I went over what to you, Bukulki. Year, wh- huh? Go on. Oh, uh, huh? what year was that? What year? What year did you Oh, this is 1988. 88. Wow. Okay. And, and, uh, I would have been there. I would have been there. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been you who translated Possibly, but I think I would have remembered that. Yeah. I spoke some Japanese. I mean, I just arrived. I spoke a little Japanese, you know. But um, uh, I, I spoke Japanese with uh, uh, the other Harada um, uh, Tongan. Tongan. Uh, his was very simple. It was easier. Uh, but... Uh, my Japanese were never good like yours, good Lord. Uh, but, um, uh, in, anyway, I, I, I just walked from there over to Bukokiji, right? Right. And, right. and met Harada Tangan And, um, right. Uh, that was totally different. And the striking thing to me, was uh, now Arata Tangan was a Dharma heir of Arata Sogaku. Am I correct? Correct. I, uh, my understanding is he was the very last person to receive Shiho from Sogaku Roshi. Yeah, but there was some problem between uh, those two Aratas and the temples. They, they and they both did um, Takahatsu in the area, if I recall correctly, but they didn't have. Any relationship is that right? Um, that's not exactly correct. Um, um, I don't know the details about that, but um, 
Sekke Roshi obviously was chosen to be the next Jushoku at Hoshinji. Uh, but, and it's true, you know, there were other, there were Westerners over at Bukokuji as well. And, uh, but we were encouraged not to, to, um, to talk to them, uh, to, um, <coughs> Fraternize with them. Is that the right word? Right. Um, that sounds right. Sure. And, and you know, people heard, people, people heard about that. People would come in and say, well, what? You know, that's, that's not right. You know, you guys are living that court. You're living a hundred yards apart. Uh, not to have any uh, connection. That's, that's weird. Uh, but that was really um, a kindness on the part of maybe both teachers. I don't know what Tongan Roshi thought. But the, 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 the idea was, you know, you start talking to these other people from another temple, and oh yeah, Tongan Roshi is teaching this, and they and doing this and that, and you, it's just a way to confuse yourself. Yeah. Uh, by mixing by mixing together different points of view. Yeah. So don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. You're saving yourself trouble. Yeah, you know. Uh... I, I talked to Shunyu Suzuki about that sort of thing. You know, I was I was asking him if somebody could talk at Tatsuhara. And he went, oh, wow, this is America. Okay, we'd never do that in Japan. He said, uh, you right. know, we don't mix right. like that. The, the, right. the, 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 he said the, the, the teacher is jealous of other teachers. They, they want to, they want to keep their temple for their teaching and sort of, yeah, not confuse things, not mix it up. He said, but this is America. He'd sort of given up, you know. And he said, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I face that, that too, you know. I, uh, and, and that's, you know, all of this, all of this information out of online, books, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not to mention other, you know, Tibetan and, and uh, this, that, and the other thing. Um, I, I think that's really dangerous. You know, if that's the right word, or just confusing. It's if you don't really know what what it's all about, you're just going to confuse yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um- Richard Baker called that eating around the edge of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you see a lot of it now. It's all, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. Yeah. Even now more with the internet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me, I I ran into, this is a long time ago. All right, you know, this is 15, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, a, a couple of people, one guy is... Uh, uh, priest has a little sitting group in Sebastopol, uh, and and he we were in Whole Foods, and he met somebody else who had some sitting room, and they were talking, and it was just name dropping all the different workshops and teachers and things they yeah. looked into and were doing and meeting, and I just thought, wow, that's. Uh, you know, I just didn't have any interest in that, but that is obviously something a lot of people uh, are doing. Uh, 
Um, I think it's almost unavoidable. It's it's like um, going into a candy store. Or, you, know, <laughs> you want to try this and that and the other thing, and but but um, how is a person to know? You know, you're trying this one and this one and this one and this one. How are you going to know which one is right? Yeah, which one is right for you? I mean, you've got to choose. You know, there's that thing in yeah. Japanese, in, go in, right? Yeah. Where, where right. It's sort of like it's not really putting down other paths or other teachers, but it's saying this is the one I vibrate with. Or, this is this is what I'm have a good connection with, right? This is the, this right. Well, I, f- I feel very, very fortunate that I did not taste around the, you know, go around eating around the edge of the pie. Yeah. Um, you know, I was at Antaiji. I knew that wasn't the place for me. And then I found my teacher, Harada Roshi. I mean, it took a while to really, for that to sink in, but I didn't, I didn't go around tasting elsewhere after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Antaiji is sort of a Zazen-only temple, uh, right? I mean, how would you characterize their practice? Um, well, he used to scold me and say, there shouldn't be any Zazen. It's not you. You're not doing Zazen. You're not doing Zazen. He would scold me. You know, it's not, you're not doing Zazen. I mean, one of his main teachings, if you read his books, is that Zazen is Zazen. And, well, that's a koan in its own right, but it's not you doing Zazen. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's one part of it. The other part is that your whole life is Zazen. It's not limited yeah. to sitting on a, on a cushion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both excellent points. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about how did your father and mother uh, deal with all this? Well, for my mother, it was never a problem. Uh, but for my father, that was a challenge, certainly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, probably a source of suffering for him. Although... Um, you know, as time went on, I think he got used to it. I used to say, he's, he's been gone quite some years now, but um, I think he got used to it, and he, he was even proud of me in some way. After, I think and that was after he retired as a missionary. He lived his life out in Japan. Um, he had found his home in Japan, and, uh, and I think he... I think he understood, you know, that was the way I had found. And uh, it was certainly different than his, but the Japanese often said, oh, well, you guys are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But from an American point of view, that's not quite the same way. So your father stayed in Japan? He did. He died in Japan. Yeah. Where? Uh, he lived, at that time, he was living in Nagoya. Oh. Huh. Goodness. That's where he retired, and uh, he went into the wedding business. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Into the Christian <laughs> wedding business. Or, or yeah. was it not just Christian? 
No, that was all Christian. He had all the gear, and, and uh, he knew how to do it. So, um, and he taught English too. Uh huh. Oh, that's really yeah. interesting. That's really interesting. Um, uh, by that time, my my fa- my parents had divorced. My mother had returned to to the United States. So he just uh, he lived his life out in, in Japan. Oh. Did did. How, had he stayed in Japan when you went back to America to go to college? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I see. I see. Well, I can understand that. I love Japan. Uh, uh, I could live there. It's just, you know, it's it's too expensive. Uh, yeah. Uh, but um, it's not more expensive than uh California anymore, but uh, 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 anyway, I love Japan. A little easier I going here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, when I was working in San Francisco, then I moved to LA. Every year I would go back to Japan and uh, I'd go and see Roshi mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, he was like my father too. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Well, I want to hear about your work for the uh, Soto shoe because that it's really interesting. Uh, uh, that that's when I first met you. Is when you well, uh, except for the time in 1988 if you trans- were translating for Herodotus. I, I think it must have been there were several people there translating I think um, somebody else may have covered that one uh-huh. um, uh, well you know that was just a, you know coming back to the states 2003 that's when I came back oh, 2003 uh-huh. 20 years ago 20 years ago you know that was just a kind of an honorable way to I, could, I was living as a priest I, I could you know I, I was living at the San Francisco Zen Center right I was getting paid getting paid I had a job so it was a way to re-enter American culture fairly easily I would say yeah And I did translation work there, and uh, I also kind of made my own job. I would visit Zen centers around the United States mm. and Mexico. Mm. So I would, that was part of the work I um, created for myself, just to, to go on see and I would give give a talk there and uh, just see how how these uh, people were doing around the United States. Hmm. Not to mention San Francisco's incident, too. I got to see see it from the inside. Yeah. yeah. How long did you live at uh, Page Street? Seven years. And uh, weren't, weren't you living at Zinshuji in L.A. some? Um, yes, I, I was there for five years. Yep. And uh, I was were, so calm. were you there with uh, Gengwa Kiba? Roshi, or after? No, I took his place. I took he. Right. He resigned. He and then he, I became the Sokan. Yeah, the Sokan. Is that the word? Yeah. 
I, did, I didn't. I beca- for five years, I was at SOCOM. <laughs> then I resigned, and he became the SOCOM again. Oh, I wondered about that. I wondered about that. Yeah. Now, my understanding is that he recommended you to be the SOCON, to be the what what we called the bishop of uh, uh, Soto Zen in America. Yeah, that's the word they used at Zen Shuji, but I never liked that word. Now we use the word director, the director. That's right. I think we talked about it. I talked to Akiba Roshi about that. And it came down to two people, and I thought I would be the better, better person. And uh, I was ready to leave San Francisco, so I got the job. Um, and um, you know, when I heard that you uh, were the head of Soto Zen, um, and uh, and, and, and did, did you? And I didn't quite hear. Um, in in English, do you use the word in English, Bishop, or do you just leave it with director? So- huh? We 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 like the word director. director. Oh, director. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's better. The director of Soto's in America. Well, I just thought, well, that is incredible. Uh, but you must have been the first uh, Westerner. I was. Uh, I was. I was. You know, because the um, there had always been such a split between the Japanese uh, who had been the director and uh, between the the Japanese American Soto Zen, uh, the Japanese Soto Shu, and uh, you know the the. Um, Zazen-oriented groups that Suzuki and Maizumi uh, and some others had founded. And I, I thought that was very impressive. And, and you know, with, with uh, Gengo Akiba, you, you got somebody who'd been at Tassahara. And so it, it all seemed to be a little more harmonious to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's two different worlds, that's for sure. The Japanese... And Japanese American world, they're just not interested in the Zazen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I really didn't like the the um, the attitude that was so prevalent. Uh, was that uh, you know we've got the reels and 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 they're just uh-huh. like a church thing. It was like didn't appreciate that they had. Uh, uh, that they had a long tradition that they were involved in that we could learn from. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it was helpful that I had lived I had lived in Japan all those years. Yeah. And spoke Japanese. And and there was I was uh, that was okay that was okay, but. Um, yeah, it was just it became so I I stayed I stayed five years. I thought I did I really put in my time there. That was enough. So I was ready to leave LA too. Yeah. That's when I came to St. Louis. Yeah. Well now when you when you went to St. Louis, uh what what did you do? Why why did you go there and, and what has happened in well, I met a woman from St. Louis. 
Yeah. And um, we decided to get married. Yeah. So was she going to move to L.A. or was I going to move to San And I was ready to leave L.A. So that was the answer. You're going, I'm going to move to St. Louis. And I inherited a small group of people who had formed a group called the Confluence Zen Center. So I became their teacher. Ah. Ah. And so what's it called now? Confluence. Confluence. C-O-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E. Confluence. The Zen Confluence Center. Zen Center of St. Louis. Yes. Ah. Um, um, confluence. I inherited that word, confluence. But the two biggest rivers in America, the Missouri and the Mississippi, come together here in St. Louis. Oh, that's so right. The word confluence is a word you see around town in different, oh. different ways. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it, it has sort of a, a nice, uh, Zen, uh, uh, you can give it a sort of Zen or a spiritual, uh, interpretation too. <laughs> yeah. Coming together, coming together, coming, you know, like the Sangha, coming together as a Sangha. Yeah. To, uh, to practice. Yeah. I, yeah. I was in St. Louis in, uh, 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 I, I don't know, um, 2008 or something at, at the, uh-huh. the, the request of some ecumenical Buddhist group there, uh, are, and I gave a bunch of talks, like four or five talks. Uh, and I, I never do that, but they'd asked me, so I did it. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I, there were all these different groups and there was one of them was a Chinese Zen group or Chinese Buddhist group. Uh, we, we have a group called the Buddhist council, the Buddhist council. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, we have several, we have several Soto groups here in, in St. Louis. Yeah. Four. We have four. Yeah, that's what well, I noticed. Maybe you were invited by the older, the older one, Missouri Zen Center. Uh huh. I. <coughs> uh, I can't I, hear you at all. Huh, pardon? I couldn't hear you. Maybe no, no, I, I, I muted myself and coughed. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. <coughs> <coughs> Uh, pardon. If see if I mute it, there's a blank space, and right. and I know that. But if I cough, I don't notice it. In I can't see it in the wave file. Uh, uh, but um, uh, uh, any, anyway, uh, I really enjoyed St. Louis, and and I remember the Indian mounds outside of town, and. Right. Uh, I enjoyed the people and, and, and I was impressed with all the different groups. Um, yeah. 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 
So, um, yeah, we have some, yeah. Go on. Yeah, we have some big, we have some big, you know, fairly big temples here, um, right in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Chinese. Maybe you went out to Maba, too. Do you, do you remember Maba? Middle America Buddhist Association? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Outside of town, about an hour outside of town. Oh, wow. Yeah. They have a big property out there. and uh, They've just done a lot of building out there. and uh, Pretty impressive. Hmm. Mm. I remember going to St. Louis in... Ooh, 1964, I'd been in Mississippi uh, at the, you know, the civil rights thing for a while. Uh, And what was I doing? I guess I was hitchhiking to Ann Arbor. Oh, I'd been in, uh, uh, I I guess I was going to Ann Arbor to do something with SDS. Anyway, I, I went from, I was hitchhiking from Fort Worth to Ann Arbor. It was one of, one of my things there in 64. And in St. Louis, <clears throat> I, I would hitchhike. I would carry a, a suit and a coat and tie because I could get rides oh. so much quicker that way. Just a sport coat and a tie. Uh, and oh, okay. there was a country club there that had a reciprocal relationship with a country club that my family was members of in Fort Worth. So, Oh, okay. I went and hung out there for uh, a couple hours just to take a break because I couldn't get a ride. And then I went back out and I stood 12 hours, finally got a ride. I don't know why it was so hard, but that's my oldest memory of St. Louis. <laughs> but how have you found it? Oh, I I, um, I like it. Um, um, I think it's fine. I mean... It's a very segregated town, and I I feel sad about that. But there's not a lot I can do about that. So, um, you know, it's, where we live, where my wife and I live, it's it's a quiet neighborhood, and uh, um, people are, are friendly, and uh, lots of young families with kids walking up and down the street with their dogs and kids. Mm. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. And, and our group is doing well. That's mm. good. That's good. Now, uh, yeah. how do we find your group online? Uh, that would be www.confluencezen.org. Yeah, confluencezen.org. Um, yep. And does that have, uh, can we uh, get lectures of yours? Or? You know, I, I haven't done that too much, David. Um, a little bit, but I just prefer working with people in person. Yeah. And, and we have and all that, but um, primarily people come and practice with us, uh, with our body. And I just, I haven't gotten around to doing too much. And it, to me, it's just another excuse not to come in. 
You go, oh, I'll just listen to it online. Yeah. And so I just, maybe one day I'll, I'll uh, branch out into that. But there's already so much stuff online anyway. So. Yeah. 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 Um, now, um, I, I, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you is your your years with uh, the Soto Shoe Organization and your five years as director, how was that? Uh, well, um, yeah. I mean, so I had been living for a long time in Japan. You know, that was going on 30 years in Japan. A lot of that time I'd been in a monastery. Yeah. And so, you know, what was I going to do in America? What was I going to do? I, mean, I didn't really have a vocation. And uh, so that that first seven years, I wasn't planning to stay there that long, but that that allowed me to acclimatize myself again to Japan, uh, to America, excuse me. It also gave me the freedom to be a priest, to to live, to continue living my vocation as a monk, as a priest. Yeah. And so that part of it all made sense, you know. As as I mentioned, I got to travel. <coughs> I got to visit quite a few different Zen temples around the United States. Mm-hmm. Got to meet lots of teachers and and so on. I had time to continue doing translation. Translation has always been one of my passions to do that. Mm. Well, yeah. Um, so that all made sense. You know, I had gotten involved with a woman there. Uh, finally, that did not work out. So, But that first seven years just seemed like, well, getting to know Americans and and uh, and. and in America. And then this job opportunity in L.A. came up. Um, and uh, that was difficult. That was difficult. So you, you mentioned these two different worlds. It was trying to bridge two different worlds. There. And uh, to some extent, I was able to do that. I was... Uh, I got. I started doing classes there at Zen Shuji to bring in new people to uh, to build up that Zen group there. Uh, meanwhile, I was I was learning how to do things like funerals and memorial services, which I never did in Japan. The Westerners at Hoshinji were never were never we were never expected to do those things. Hmm. And. Uh, but that finally became difficult simply because I was not Japanese. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, traditionally that bishop or, or director position was done by a Japanese person. And that was a learning experience and difficult. And finally, I just realized. I don't want to do this. I, I've, I've, I gave it a good try, but I want to try something else. And, and that's, so that's what I'm able to do here in Central. Yeah. So well, it, it all fits together. 
it all fits together for, as part of my life. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great you did it. I mean, I was just, I just, I thought to me it's like you did the impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it was difficult. It was yeah, difficult. Uh, okay. that's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, the, you know, uh, I mentioned the, the, the gap between, uh, the, the, the Japanese Soto Zen world and the American, uh, Soto Zen, Zen world. And, uh, um, 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 I've had, well, there was, uh, a, you, you might have even been there. There was a uh, this event. In fact, you were there. Uh, uh, the, the, you remember that thing? The the uh, you, you UC Berkeley, San Francisco Zen Center did a. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It was maybe the 50 years of Zen Center or uh, right uh, something like that. And one of the um uh the the in the first day at at Page Street Bell Weitzman gave a talk where he emphasized that uh uh Shunyu Suzuki said there was uh moss on the branches of Zen in Japan and you know it's like he was talking about it and he came to America and he found beginner's mind and this and that. And it was, to me, it was like this total put down of Japanese said it's saying like, we've got the real thing. And that, it, it, it was, to me, was a total misunderstanding of it. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. He thought we, you know, he thought there, thought there were strong points on each side that we could learn from each other. But he certainly didn't yeah. think that, um, you know, uh, that, that what we were doing was superior. And, and also it's traditional for, uh, the Zen teachers to say, oh, you know, everything's gotten sort of gone down here. We got to rejuvenate it. I just saw it in a totally yeah. different, uh, context. And, you know, there were, there were all these Japanese priests there, like um, Fujita, uh, who, uh, you know, were involved with uh, Zazen groups and this and that. And Anyway, uh, do, do you remember that? You know, I do. Um, and, and part of it was in Berkeley, wasn't it? Part of that symposium. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do. And um, I was like, I was the rabble rouser in a way. I, I and one of those, maybe you were there. I said, "Listen, you know, the real Zen has not been completely transmitted to this country, yeah, to America, yeah. I, it, it hasn't, from my point of view, yeah. And and you know that's kind of that." creates waves, you know, but that's how it felt. And, uh, yeah. And that's, a, I'm glad you make that point because that's why I'm here still doing this translation work because there's still something, some inspiration and, and some, some awakening in these words that we can learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember you saying that back then and, 
And I knew you felt that way. And uh, on the second day, um, I asked for you to speak. Oh, uh-huh. Uh, because Maybe uh, you're, you're uh, even though you actually look rather imposing, you're uh, very polite and you're not aggressive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been living in Japan too long. Maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, is there anything? Uh, I, I, I mean, have you have you written anything? You know, I have written a little bit, um, but um, I have written a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I've written a little bit. I mean, when I was, that was one thing, you know, when I was in, in L.A. at Zentrich, mm-hmm. I, I thought I've they had. Newsletter. I think it came out. I'm pretty sure I still get that. It comes out every month. And, and uh, I, gonna, I have to write something. So I, I started writing short essays every month. Um, I was there five years. I don't know if I made 60 of them or not, but I, I did quite a few of them. Oh. Those, that's, that's mainly what I've written. Yep. Oh. I, I just haven't gotten written, gotten around to writing too much here. Um, you know, my passion is still translating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've got this huge book um, that, that we're working on. Yeah. And you're working on volume two. We're working on volume two. I'm just... Just lately, I've been going over. I've done those. I've done those chapters for volume two already. Um, my partner is the bottleneck, as she calls it, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we can get going on that soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you one other thing. Uh. Sure. My understanding is that Hoshinji is not a functioning temple anymore. That's correct. It's a temple, but they are they are no longer recognized as a Senmon Sodo, which means a training monastery. Uh, there's just they don't have enough people there. Yeah. It, are there? Is there a teacher there? Is there a, a, a Jushoku? Is there a Shike? Is are oh, there? Yeah. No, there's a Jushoku, but no Shike. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think I think that man, the Jushoku, is recognized as a Jun Shike, means uh, a, a vice or a, 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 a vice, vice Shike, junior Shike, a junior Shike. Uh, but. Uh, you're supposed to, those those monasteries are supposed to have a minimum of ten people in training. Mm-hmm. And there's right now there's only three people there. Uh huh. And, and what about Bukokuji? Oh, yeah, same. They never were. They never had that recognition. Yeah, I I remember that. I remember it was sort of uh, 
renegade thing or something, or, or it, it wasn't associated with the Soto shoe the way uh, 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 Ho Shinji was. Well, it is a Soto temple. In fact, it's a branch temple of Hoshinji. So, at the very least, Tongan Hoshi would come once a year for the Kaisaki, the ceremony for the um, the, founder, the founder's ceremony. And uh, I think there were about 10 of these smaller temples that were part of, the, there were branch temples of Hoshinji, so they would all gather those Jushoku would all gather on that day, May 15th. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why Bukokuji was never recognized, but maybe maybe Tangan Roshi never never wanted to. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he didn't want to. Yeah. He, it, the, the, he, he, uh, it seemed like an island unto itself. Um, uh, he didn't want people, you know, getting mail, reading, talking, uh, he, he, uh, you know, really encouraged them to cut, cut everything off. Uh, well, but I don't know. People came and went. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Oh, yeah. Some, some people were there quite a while. Some people were there quite a while. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah. Some people stayed, stayed years, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, well, do, do you have anything? Uh, uh, this has been fascinating. I really uh, liked hearing about it all. Um, do you have anything uh, to say before we say goodbye? Well, yes. You know, I think the significance of for example, this commentary on Denko is that, at least in my mind, Inoue Roshi was an enlightened teacher. He was a he was an awakened teacher, and Keizan Zenji himself, in in the Denko Roku, is tracing this transmission. We see transmission of light or transmission of illumination, but it's also the transmission of enlightenment, and. Uh, this is something that got lost in the Soto sect. And that's another big reason, I think, for Denko Roku has not been uh, given uh, as much notice as maybe the Shogoginsa. And Keizan, Keizan Zenshi uh, cast all of that in a, in a in a different light, if I could say. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, I'm, real, I, I'm hoping that this book will be read and studied by many Western Zen students. Mm. And I've sent you a copy to San Rafael. Yeah. So I hope you I'll get, get it. It, have a chance to look at it. Sometime. I'll get it in... You know, every few months I get the mail. I mean, we don't let it right. be, uh, uh, we don't let it go through the mail here. Uh, it's not right. like living in Japan. Living in Japan is just like living in America mail-wise. It, it was, right. it, it was, uh, we, we'd get, I'd get mail that had been sent three days before. 
Right. Uh, here, uh, I just tell people don't do it. <laughs> How long have you been in Bali? Ten years. Wow. How old and how old are you now? Seventy-eight. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm seventy-three. Huh? I'm seventy-three. Yeah. Yeah. I I figured that because uh, I I guess there was something indicated you were born in nineteen uh, fifty. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I right. haven't been back. Right. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I sort of miss it, but it's so big and you have to be in cars and go long distances and have a lot of money. Right. And so I, I just can't, right. I can't really imagine, uh, uh, being back in America. Uh, which, which part of Bali are you? I'm in Sunur, uh, which is like it's part of Denpasar, the big city, and it, but it's oh, okay. the beach. It's on the and it's sort oh. of quieter uh, than it's in the, the 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 south, which is busier and has more tourists and expats. But we're sort of the quieter end of it, uh, and uh, uh, but. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, Bali was considered overpopulated. Uh, I was reading a book about the Sukarno and the downfall of Sukarno and, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, mass murdering of, uh, communists and Chinese back in the mid sixties. And, uh, uh, Bali, uh, killed the highest percentage of people. It went totally nuts. Uh, and, uh, but it was considered, uh, one thing I noticed in it was considered overpopulated in, uh, mm. the mid sixties. Mm. And, uh, I guess it is, but there's plenty of places that there aren't that many people, but, uh, I like infrastructure, you know, and I like tech support and, uh, uh, you know, and we can walk everywhere practically here right so it's sort of nice well if you're if you're in good health it's good i mean how, you have access to good health care oh yeah yeah i can walk to a just a, a hospital 20 minutes away uh that has everything okay. and it's very very okay. efficient and high quality in fact i i would have not thought it possible when I came here, because mm. I'd been here mm. before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's good, and we have national health care, and um, uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, mm, good. Uh, and and you know, I had um, I had laser surgery on a dislocated retina. Uh, at a, at another place before this new hospital was built, it was. Uh, Nine years ago, uh, and uh, the total charge uh, for everything—the medicine, the three visits, and the operation—was three hundred dollars. Wow! Uh-huh. Uh, nice, nice. 
and uh, I could get it for free now. Uh, oh. But um, yeah, it's it's been good, uh, and uh, nice people. But um, well, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Um, that's uh, that's an honor, David. Well, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, uh, Peter uh, Schneider and, and, and Peter and Jane Schneider uh, talk about yeah. you. And they, they really, uh, they, they, uh, they liked it when you were in L.A. And uh, they have very high regard for you. Mm. I just talked to Peter on the phone a couple of days ago. I sent him a copy of the book. And, uh, yeah, he's getting up there, too. He's going to be 86. Um, so. Wow! Yeah, I got to call him. I, I've really enjoyed relating to them. They're just yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I I've got I haven't been in touch with them in a, in a while. I mean, uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta get back in touch there. Okay, well, Daikaku, it's really been great talking with you. Uh, if I get to St. Louis, I'll I'll look you up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll take you out to dinner. Oh boy! Well, thank you, thank you. Okay, well, how about some ribs? Some yeah. ribs. Oh, what'd you say then? How about some St. Louis ribs? Oh goodness. Uh, I don't eat much uh, uh, food like that, but um, I, I could. Um, I think I could make an exception. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat them often, but I like them now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, take care and thanks a lot, and may your dharma uh, thrive. Okay. Same to you. Take care. All right. Bye bye. So, thanks a lot, Daigaku. That was great. Really enjoyed it. Very impressive. Very, very impressive indeed. Thank you very much. This has been a Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC Poobah Cuke Audio in Cuke Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggett Bandita, guest Doggett Bumbita, <laughs> and dear lovely Katrinka. And wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening.